0: Welcome to another episode of In the Name of Service, a podcast committed to sharing the untold stories of those who selflessly serve. Each episode features an interview with men and women who have been called to a variety of service-focused roles, such as the military, law enforcement, ministry, volunteering, and more. You aren't likely to know the names of the individuals you meet here, but our hope is by the end of our time together, You'll not only know their stories, but possibly be inspired to write your own in some way. Humble in nature, but strong in character, these everyday men and women showcase what it is to truly be a servant. We're glad you're here. Now, here's your host, Dr. Barb Thompson.
1: All right, thank you so much for joining me today for another inspiring episode of In the Name of Service. I'm your host, Dr. Barb Thompson. As a United States Army veteran and operational psychologist, I've spent my career working with military and law enforcement units conducting in-depth interviews with hundreds of individuals who are hoping to earn their place on high-risk, high-performing teams. In most cases, they've already put in years of grueling physical and mental work just to get a chance to serve and sacrifice more. And that type of selflessness is special, and I feel worthy of recognition. While each person's story is unique, and every path to service different. Their goals are similar. To do something more, to be a part of something bigger, to make a difference. And These difference makers were the catalysts behind this podcast, and it's my privilege to share their stories with you. Today, I get to introduce a mentor, really, former colleague, probably like 10 years ago, Bobby Seidel. So he's a psychologist, operational psychologist in the Army as well, and he may not know this, but in 2008, I went to the APA convention, you know, for psychologists that was in Chicago that year. And I was already thinking, I don't know what I'm going to do with this. I'm getting a doctorate in psychology. Like what population do I want to serve? And I thought about the military a little bit. And I, so I went to see you, you were there and talking about what it's like to be a military psychologist. And you sealed the deal for me. I was like, Here's a person that is the most genuine and passionate about the mission that they're on, and I want to be a part of that. So you you basically helped change the whole trajectory of my life. So I have you to thank for that. But in any case, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Well,
2: first of all, thanks you for having me. And Barb, I think I remember that because I think when we were done talking to the audience, we talked afterwards in the hallway.
1: Yes, and I can't you believe you remember that. you introduced
2: yourself to me. And we mm-hmm. ended up I do. And, and we end up uh, talking. So yeah, it's, it's uh yeah. Anyway. Yes, I do remember. So uh, yes, Bobby Seidel, uh, operational psychologist, been in for uh, gosh, 23 years now, and I'll be retiring next year at 24 and spent the first 10 years on the conventional side. And then the last 13, 14 special operations. And it's just been rewarding, fulfilling, and uh, honestly a blessing to be able to work with the men and women in special operations.
1: We're going to take it way back for just a second. And I want you to, for me, because I, I haven't heard this part of your story, yeah. describe for us your upbringing and some of those experiences that you feel shaped you into the man that you've become.
2: Uh, born and raised in central Illinois, a couple hours from Chicago by my mom and dad. I uh, have a brother and sister, the oldest. So I was the big brother. was truly blessed to be raised by wonderful parents and in a home where, where I was encouraged, uh, provided security, uh, allowed to uh, fail, uh, but had them along the way to teach me and model things for me. Just instilled in me things the importance of my faith in God, being there for your siblings and your family, a strong work ethic, having empathy for other people who are less fortunate than you. And being willing to offer mm. a helping hand, uh, my my parents really exhibited that and modeled grit, uh, particularly during some uh, lean times for us. So I was very blessed to have them as a role model. My dad, who passed away in two thousand eleven, you know he's the he's the man I tried to emulate, and uh, you know if I could be half the man he was, uh, as a husband, as a father, as a son, and friend, as a, an employee, I'll know that I've done all right so yeah, just really really instilled in me that putting a relationship with Jesus being there for your family giving your best effort and again uh, taking care of people both him and my, uh, both him and my mom did that and, uh, when I was 15 hockey was a big part of our life I played hockey and um, at the time I was trying to um, see how far I could go and so at 15 my sophomore year I left home and Tried out for some junior teams in Canada, up in Ontario, and uh, was able to to make a team. And so, for my sophomore junior year, I lived away from my family. And, oh wow! Uh, that really played a huge role in learning how to be independent, how to be resilient, because I didn't have uh, my family there to help me uh, when I was going through a maybe a tough time. And being in the school, it was bilingual, French and English. Learning the culture, and then just you know, temptations. Uh, you know, whether it was alcohol or or just partying and realizing, you know, i got to be able to stand on my own two feet and, and uh, navigate that. And those two years uh, really shaped me as well in learning how to become autonomous but still make wise decisions based on what my family had uh, to raise me.
1: I had no idea. Wow. Okay, cool. What yeah, led you to yeah. be a psychologist? It may be a long a long path, even since I guess yeah. that was, you know, your Canada years, but.
2: So was still pursuing hockey, graduated high school, uh, got offered uh, a scholarship to Princeton to play hockey, but, uh, you know, ACTs or SATs, whatever they were, weren't high <laughs> enough. Um, so I was like, well, that's okay. Um, so I was going to play one more year junior and then, uh, hopefully get an opportunity to play division one hockey. And uh, over that summer was at a uh, youth retreat had some serious prayer time. And I felt the Lord calling me to quit pursuing hockey and pursue uh, education, specifically, uh, psychology. And so wow. that was a turning point in my life because I had invested 14 years and sacrificed so much to play and, and, uh, But I did. I was obedient. I struggled with it. I enrolled in (laughs) in college and uh, probably that first year struggled with my identity. Uh, You know, I was a hockey player for all those years and all of a sudden I wasn't, which I think helps me understand some of our operators when they're getting ready to retire Mm -hmm. after a 20 year career. But I was going to go to med school and be a psychiatrist. And uh, being exposed to um, calculus and things of that nature, (laughs) realize horsepower probably wasn't there. And uh, and it was organic chemistry for me. So, (laughs) right, I was just like, "Ooh, I don't know about this." And um, Mm -hmm. so I learned more about psychiatry versus psychology, and then that's why I was just like that's more of what I want to do. And so, uh, like, you know, went to Olivet Nazarene university and got my, my uh, bachelor's and then, uh, was fortunate enough to get into Wheaton college, which was just, you know, an hour up the road and go for my doctorate degree. And so in my, uh, it was interesting how, uh, during they have club hockey. So I got to play a few years of club hockey while I was there, which was a nice stress relief from all the yeah, classes. but like, you know, like, you know, you get to a point where you have to start applying for internships, right? And my advisor, who was kind of my mentor at the time, uh, said, hey, do you know the military offers internships? And I was just like, I have no idea. So he encouraged me to research them. And my father was a Vietnam veteran, uh, You know, was drafted and served. Both my grandfather served in World War II, and at least one great-grandfather served in World War I. And so no career military guys, but I always had an appreciation for it simply based on my family history. And the more I researched them, uh, the more I really wanted to come into the military. And, uh, I looked at the Navy and I'm like, I don't want to be on a boat out in the middle of the ocean. Because I'm the Midwestern <laughs> boy and the fear of sharks and all that stuff. And so it came down to the air force and army. And because my paternal grandfather and my father, are both army, that's the one I really wanted. So I threw my hat in the ring. Uh, Got accepted into uh, the internship at Fort Gordon. And then uh, to get from The
1: rest is history, as they say.
2: Yeah. And here we are. <laughs> yeah. It's crazy.
1: How would you describe your experience if you had to? Kind of in a nutshell, the experience you've had as a military psychologist. Fulfilling,
2: rewarding, uh, filled with purpose, humbling. To be able to play a role in supporting men and women, particularly are war fighters who go into harm's way on our behalf, that's been extremely rewarding, and, uh, whether it's on the conventional side or the soft side, and uh, to play hopefully at least a small role in helping them and their families at different uh, points of their lives, whether it's in a deployed setting or back home when they're dealing with stuff, you know, marriage, mm-hmm. marriage issues, or maybe they're injured and dealing with limitations, grief. A lot of our guys are just, they're really good at compartmentalization, to be able to uh, focus on their job and sometimes uh, they compartmentalize a little bit too long and some of that stuff creeps out. So just being able to be their consultant, their colleague, their trusted agent, uh, to maybe help them and their families with some healing and have a better quality of life is, it's rewarding. It really has been.
1: Yeah. What do you think has been, I mean, I say has been, but... It could be now even, um, your greatest challenge during your time of service.
2: What's been my greatest challenge? Mm -hmm. There was probably two. One was relationship-wise a few years ago, there was an officer uh, behind my back was making a lot of disparaging remarks about my reputation and um, I caught wind of it later and um, it hurt because I know it probably damaged my reputation at least for a little while within the soft community and um, struggled with that and would stress about it, wonder why that would occur. And I can remember probably just, probably a couple years later, I felt more isolated, probably just all internalized, but I felt more isolated. And I can remember just sitting in my living room one night. Um, My wife, Lee had gone to bed and I was just sitting there and was just praying. And I realized I've got to let this go. I got to make sure Mm -hmm. that um, bitterness or anger or lack of forgiveness doesn't, uh, set in because all that does not impact me and this individual has no control over my life and so um i just decided right there to forgive let go move forth and it was liberating and um and i knew over time by what i say and what i do my reputation would be fine and it
1: was absolutely um, right i learned a
2: lot from that moment both in how i need to respond with forgiveness and letting go and moving forward and maybe even praying for that person but how I need to treat other people um my own character and integrity and I'd say the other big stressor barb was um probably OIF1 the first year in Iraq the ground war and all that I mean I was I'd only been in the army for 3 years and one year wow. of that was uh, was my internship and another few months was basic training and here I was in charge of four or five people as a yeah. captain and yeah probably just those first 6 months the the Stress of not only trying to make mission to take care of my people and make mm-hmm. sure that they were okay, and when they were going through stuff, because they're missing their families or, or whatnot, making sure I took care of my people and the importance of if you're in a leadership position, taking care of your people is uh, paramount.
1: yeah. So that was so. I mean, everything was so new. Who or what did yeah. you turn to to know what to do in order to Either meet mission or take care of your people when yeah. you were in a new experience yourself.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Well, fortunately, I deployed for six months to Kuwait and Pakistan in 2002. So that at least helped me get a little more military bearing and professional yeah. development. And then, like, you know, reading up on doctrine and studying uh, as we ramped up to go, uh, finding a really, you know, a young, young captain, finding a really good NCOIC who we had. And just trying to learn more about the officer's role, leadership roles, being confident in making decisions, but learning how to take care of your people and their specific needs. And then when I got over there, Barb, I, I was just, um, I was like, well, how am I going to take care of myself? Because mm-hmm. if you don't take care of yourself and replenish yourself, you're eventually going to get depleted and not be able to take care of your people and take care of the mission. So I knew I had to take moments of that. And for me, it was faith. Uh, I decided, uh, up until that point in my life, I've never read the Bible the entire way through, and I'm like, "What better opportunity?" Because I'm gonna have a lot of downtime, and uh, decided to focus on my faith uh, and pray and give things to God. I was mindful in how much I shared with my family because I didn't want to stress them out, but I could Mm -hmm. talk to my dad a little bit more, having been a Vietnam veteran, right? And so those were probably the two ways that I decompressed, And, and because I'm, I am more introverted, and there wasn't really any privacy out there. Uh, When I did get moments to be by myself, I took those moments because I knew that would truly uh, recharge me so that I could take care of my people.
1: You've held a variety of roles, you know, to support unique either missions or individuals or groups during, honestly, like a period in our nation's history that has been particularly challenging. You've been there the whole time. What keeps you going? And this might be kind of in the same vein that you were you were headed just now. But what keeps you going during those times and still available and willing to continue serving others?
2: I think one, it's um, I know this is where I'm supposed to be, you know, having that sense of purpose. Yeah, that um, whether it's mm-hmm. on the conventional side or the soft side, this is where I'm supposed to be. And because it is rewarding and fulfilling, it's easier to stay motivated. And you know. I tell my family, apart from missing my family, missing my wife or some of the creature comforts of life, you know, good food or a hot shower or watching Sports Center, uh, the most rewarding times in my career have all been women's. There is nothing better than being forward with your men and women and taking care of them, whether it's combat stress, whether it's doing tailgate therapy, or it's doing some of the more soft, specific things that we do. Uh, There is nothing more rewarding than being out there in the dirt with your people, and hopefully providing them the support they need to make the mission. So that I think that just keeps you going. And then trying to model it for other soldiers, operators, uh, the importance of self-care and wellness. You have to invest in your marriage. You have to invest in your relationships. You have to take a knee and rest if you're injured. You know, I ignored some of my injuries for a while. Eventually, they caught up, and now I'm finally give them a dress and, and to an operator and talk to them about why didn't you go get help and, you know, for various things and uh, to a man, you know, especially if it was getting hit by IED and getting TBI or losing a teammate, getting slightly injured or banged up. When I do executive coaching, um, I asked them, you know, why didn't you get stuff documented during that time frame? And uh, to a man, and I'm paraphrasing, but to a man, it was, I wasn't going to take a knee and not be there for my brothers. I mean, right. Right. Which, how can you right. not get that and understand that? And um, but fortunately for those who are on the, you know, the second half of their career, they they take redirection and they know I need to go to get some stuff documented and maybe go to marriage counseling or see a therapist, and they do and see the benefits, and uh, not just of helping them perform as an operator, but just having better quality of life, being hopefully that catalyst to help them with some of those things is
1: absolutely you've brought it up you know several times just the i guess the unique nature of the people that you work with and you've certainly had a behind the scenes view for some of uh, you know our the military's highest performing and uniquely trained individuals what do you think in your own words are some of the core characteristics that these um, men and women have in common that you've been working with
2: great they're very resilient people and they have a high threshold for being able to endure uh, challenges, stress, and things of that nature. They bounce back quickly uh, when they do get knocked down or they have a failure. I don't think they get enough credit for their intelligence. Mm -hmm. Um, They're very bright. They're critical thinking. Some of the conversations I've had with these folks, I mean, just, wow, how they make connections. Very logical, rational, well-thought-out decision that can be very strategic in nature when they're in a very ambiguous environment with a very short suspense state with all these moving parts. It just, it's, um, it's dumbfounding. So I don't think they get enough credit for their critical thinking skills. Uh, and then they're personally just how they can fit into different environments and connect with different people from different cultures and different ways of life, but do so in a way where they can influence those folks to meet their mission requirements. It's, um, and then i would just say character i mean none of us are perfect you know anyone's going to have their own issues but just as a whole i've always been amazed by the population and just their character and they're thick skinned they like direct feedback there's been times where like Doc just should seem straight and i just give them some really <laughs> critical feedback right and, and they don't it. get offended they're yes they appreciate it you know and yeah. they'll be like yeah you're absolutely right i can be a, i could be a jerk you know and then they make those adjustments right. so but that's why they're such a fun population to work with. You know?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So easy in my experience to work with, although, yeah, another are other opinions as well. But yeah. On on a similar note but different, you know, you've related to us all of these positive characteristics that, you know, nature, nurture, a little bit of both, right? Have yeah. created yeah. this individual that's a has the ability to think under pressure and and really adapt to any situation and still come out on top. On the on the down, there are some downsides you wouldn't think so after kind of listing all of those characteristics, but in your experience just speaking to the, you know, obviously the men and the women out there that might be in some of these positions, you've you've seen and spoken with so many. What advice or resources would you say like or recommend? For someone either in that population or, or that's interested in getting prepared to, you know, maybe try try out for that.
2: I think I could speak when most guys would tell you that they can be the worst patients in the world, right? And so <laughs> being able to talk to them about how reframing it in a way where they see it can help them with performance. And that can be an easier way to get them to maybe you know, Get some help. So that's usually one way of doing it, but it's also just uh, helping them see the big picture. It's just not performance in the short term, but it's helping them see that uh, that quality of care, the wellness, they're owed that. Their families are owed that. And I tell them at some point, their career is going to come to an end and I want them to have a good quality of life as a human being, as a husband, as a father. I want them to have really good relationships with their children. I want them to have an intact, fulfilling marriage. I want them to find that next career that gives them that same sense of purpose and fulfillment, and so being able to walk through that with them. And then leaders, I just did a, a brief last week with some folks who are getting ready to take time to grade level command and soft, and, and talking about the same things about self care and wellness, taking a knee, or that sleep, nutrition, because it's not going to help them lead, but it's also going to help them be able to take care of their people better.
1: Right. So, right.
2: That's one of the things that I think they struggle with the most. But I think as we've kind of shifted down a little bit with the tempo they're having more time to reflect mm-hmm. and maybe uh, finally get some of that support. For those who are maybe the looking to come into community like a psychologist, you know, you have to figure out what's important to you, what do you find fulfilling and rewarding. And, you know, when I was a training director, you know, I would have these young interns and residents who, you know, least sound like a four-year contract and. And I would talk to them. This is right in the middle of, you know, Afghanistan and Iraq. Um, so the op tempo mm-hmm. was high. And I would prepare them saying, hey, when you leave here, uh, you're going somewhere. You're all going right. to go at least once to Afghanistan and Iraq. So you need to get into that mindset. You need to prepare your family. And then I would just tell them, I go, hey, if you're going to serve four years or 20 years, um, just to fill your contract. honorably. So mm-hmm. when you leave here during those two or three years. If you're asked to go, go with a good attitude, take care of your people, prepare your family, and go do your best to take care of folks. And then after four years, if you want to get out, no problem. I'll write you a letter of recommendation and and all that, but just be honorable during your time of service. So for those who are coming in, it doesn't even have to be where you're like, well, I don't want to do 20 years, 25 years. It's like, well, just do four if you want to. I mean, the benefits alone um, with uh, the finances, the health care, and all that. Barb you could speak to this as well. I would put army internships and residencies against itself. Oh training yeah.
1: Alone is right. Phenomenal. Yeah, the diversity of training is incredible. Yeah. Mhm.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So so you're just going to be a competent autonomous psychologist when you leave. So that alone is worth it. But you'll have that time to think about wow, this is a great population or this is something that's rewarding and if it's not well, you did more than most in serving your country for a few years and you walk out of there, uh, you know, a qualified psychologist. So I always encourage people, there's something meaningful and impactful about serving something greater than yourself Yeah. and in our culture that doesn't seem to be emphasized as much as it used to be, mm-hmm. being able to go serve your country. I don't care if you're in the Navy, Air Force, whatever, getting to serve your country for a few years, it can be fulfilling to be able to get that yeah. in that way. So so that's probably how I would encourage folks. But I tell them, maybe even I told you that, it's all about the right fit. Just because you don't want to come in, that's okay. But do your due diligence and see if it might be something that you're interested in. You know, Right.
1: Yeah, there's a lot out there, you know, impressions. And it's, I think, wiser just to, to reach out, you know, to people however you, you can, even if they're strangers, right? Or after this of course mm-hmm. they might Absolutely. know how to reach out to you but have real conversations about what what life is really like in the military rather than yeah. thinking that it's all glory and no guts or you know something else some other perception that you yeah. that you might have received yeah. from there's you know there's folks out there where it wasn't a, a right fit and then they don't have a lot of great things to say about mm-hmm. it, you know, and, and might misrepresent. And yeah. and probably, you know, there's people like us yeah. who might misrepresent the positive sides of it. But I agree. Get, yeah. Do your research. Yeah, I wanted to hop back on the, the self-care train for just a little bit. You know, um, it's yeah. interesting because you you think that's just the kind of the basics of, of life. And we do forget about it. And it's not something you hear all the time. But as psychologists, when people come in and yeah. they're depressed or anxious or whatever the problem may be, um mm-hmm. always going back to the basics can be so helpful. So like what are you putting in your body? Yeah. Like what are you eating? What are you drinking? Yeah. How much are you sleeping? Yeah. Are you getting outside? Yeah. And and are you investing in relationships where you feel connected? Like that's yeah. those basics, yeah. you know, we're not great typically at them unless we've put some effort towards them, but they make such a big difference. Yeah. And even the folks who let's say They've worked and worked and been really successful in their operational career or, you know, some yeah. other career if they're not in the military. And they've let those yeah. outside factors now kind of wear away at the basics that they good they used to be good at, right? So I used to tell our guys like, yeah, it's you think all those things are great until there's something, you know, some kind of really important mission comes down. And what's the first thing to go? Um, probably sleep. you know, calls home. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, you start hitting the drive through just to make it happen. Right. And then all of those basics, and then you wonder why you're not feeling well. So just wanted to highlight that, like the guys that last the longest, it's really nothing magical. They are bright. And the character is there, of course, but they also Mm -hmm. just have that discipline to take care of themselves in those very, very basic ways.
2: Mm -hmm. Because you can be extremely successful in your professional career. But not be successful in your personal life, or it all comes at a cost. It all comes at a cost, and we've seen guys who have lost marriages and relationships, and, and their health has been hurt, and uh, sometimes by no fault of their own. And you know, the reality, Barb, is during especially the high op up, tempo days, talking to our guys and saying, "Hey, your family will be taking a backseat because you're going to be on this rotation, of six months on, six months off," and while you're home, you're going to be training and resetting. And, but finding those moments when you can reconnect with your family or prioritize your family or go see the physician to get some things documented before you go back out, it takes time and energy. And um, with the payoff, it'll help you on the, on the, on the long term because everybody's got a ceiling. You and I hit the ceiling much much more quickly than a seasoned seasoned operator, but everybody's got one. and Because I talk to guys. I've had senior guys in my office break down crying, and, and I encourage it. I'm like, brother, you got a safe place to talk invent, vent and cry and emote because you're a human being, and um, and you know more than most part. That's um, that's an honor to be in that position where you are trusted enough to be present with that, and to grieve with them, and to go through that with them, and hopefully provide those opportunities to get resources. For help, because you got to care about your people, and if you care about them, you got to go the extra effort to set them up with resources. So, so there's my there's my soapbox with you, but you normalize it in the process. It's like, yeah, you, you came and talked to me. We normal. You got to express your emotions. You you got to think of a game plan, and so you normalize the process on being able to deal with those things in a healthy way. So,
1: well, let's say there's someone out there listening to your story and. They feel that call to serve, but they don't yet know where or how to get started. What would your advice be for them?
2: I would say two things. No matter what that calling might be or what they feel feel themselves being pulled to, do your research and talk to people. So we are blessed to have the Internet. You can just start typing in all kinds of stuff to learn more about things, right? And then through that, talk to people who are in that field. So let's just say the military or, or the Army specifically. Uh, you know, when I, when I talk to folks, um, whether it's uh, someone sending me a, a young student who's in undergrad or grad school, but they have an interest in pursuing Army psychology, they don't know what they don't know. And often I'll just spend an hour with them and walk them through, here's some things you need to know so you can make an informed decision. But also you got to be available. And I tell whether it's a young officer who's already in and they don't know if they want to stay in or they don't know their career options or, like I said, a young grad student, um, you have to be available to provide those, those people some good information so they can make those decisions. The good, the bad, and the ugly. But that's probably the best way. I tell these young folks, you never bother me by cold calling me. You can send me an email. You can call me. You're never bothering me. If I don't get back to you in 24 hours, it just means I'm off doing something, but I will respond. Or if you leave me a voicemail, I'll call you back because they're showing enough desire to follow through to learn, so they can figure out whether this is something you they should pursue. And let's face it, Barb, we need really good people, young people, to assume that mantle, to, to take on those responsibilities for the future. And so we need to invest in them. And so being available as a mentor or an advisor, it's huge. So I encourage folks who are truly interested to do your research. Find a few names. Don't be afraid to cold call and email. Introduce yourself. Say, this is why I'm doing this. It's your time to talk. And most people are probably going to respond and give you that time. If they don't, that's okay. That's life. Find the next person to talk to. And if it's already psychology, you're never bothering me. I don't care if somebody reaches out. That's what I'm here for.
1: Yeah, I appreciate that. And the worst thing I think someone could do is not act on that urge that they feel or that call that um, they think they have.
2: You you need to pull that thread. I, I, you know, there's been times in my life where I I assessed for a couple of positions in the army and I knew um, the odds weren't in my favor, but I did it anyway because my whole thing was, if it's God's will, it'll happen. But if not, I didn't want to live the rest of my life thinking, what if I tried? What if I tried? At least I had closure and saying that door was shut. That's not the path for me, and I will pursue these other paths. So you got nothing to lose by going for it. That's how you learn. And if you fail, you learn from it. You build on it and hopefully develop some relationships along the way. But don't be afraid to fail or go out and try for something that you're passionate about. That's That's what you should be doing. Yeah. You know, you talked about most rewarding times in my career, but probably uh, apart from deployment, the most rewarding time has always been seeing my soldiers and my officers succeed. So, seeing somebody like you who I got to work with at training group when you went off was it down to Cuba, Barb? Is that where you're at?
1: Yeah, that was it.
2: Yeah, seeing you come back all lit up with excitement and fulfillment of being able to go do something, not just practice, 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 but actually get to go do a mission anytime. It's been, nothing fills my heart up full than seeing one of my young officers like you used to be or a young NCO uh, be successful, be recognized, achieve a goal, without a doubt, the highlights of my career. And so for you to be doing this now, at this point in your life, I'm just so proud of you. I I just am. To see you doing well, to see your family doing well, to have an opportunity to connect with you. It's just awesome. So thank you for this opportunity to talk to you and just reconnect and passion things out.
1: Thank you so much. That means so much coming from you. And I just want to thank you for all you've done to lead the way Um, for those of us who came after you and not just lead the way in operational psychology, but in in character and um, setting that example of faith, no matter what circumstances you're going through. I just really appreciate that. And I know other people do as well. So thank you so much.
0: Hey, everybody. Thank you for joining us for another incredible episode of In the Name of Service. If you enjoyed today's episode, please like and subscribe. And of course, feel free to share with those you feel would like to be inspired. Have a difference maker in your life that you'd like to see featured? Reach out to Dr. Barb Thompson at inthenameofservice at gmail.com. We'll see you next time.